Blog Talk Radio. Well, good afternoon, everyone. This is Ronald Brookins, your host, along with your, my co-host, Donald Brookins. Hello, Donald. Good afternoon, everybody. Today, we have a very special Black History Month edition of America's Community Voices Network podcast, and we have, indeed, a very, very special guest. He's our childhood friend. He's from Florida. He's from Tampa. He left this city, and he went and made, and made a career for himself as an accomplished actor, a producer, director, writer, and an acting coach. And certainly we want to benefit from his great experience and resume to talk about the year 2018, which was a transformative year for black-led movies and, and actors and producers and all of those out in Hollywood, particularly in the upper level echelon, echelon who were able uh, uh, to be in big blockbusters, been nominated for Oscars. This is the day before the Academy Awards. We're going to talk to him about that. But I also want to talk to him because he's basically, throughout his career, been in supporting roles and find, and find out what opportunities are avail, available for someone like him who's uh, been an outstanding supporting actor you know, and has been in uh, some great roles. And Eric, uh, uh, what was the name? What's the name of the movie? Don Air. Con Air. Con Air. I'm sorry. Con Air. You know, and uh, he did a. I remember him doing a, a great supporting role on uh, ER. Uh, he was in the movie CB4. So he's done a lot of things uh, in his career. But uh, before we continue, let's just say welcome to our guest, Mr. Ty Granderson Jones. Welcome, sir. Hey. <laughs> I'm so excited, man, to be talking to you guys in this capacity. You know, uh, I think we mentioned um, when I spoke to you guys earlier before the show, you know, I haven't really, I haven't actually seen you guys since we were kids. You know, that's how far fast time goes by, you know. But uh, but it's an honor. I'm excited and I'm humbled that you guys uh, invited me uh, to uh, have this conversation today um, because I'm well, all we're about happy to have you with us. We are happy to have you with us. Uh, yeah. You have a lot of knowledge and to actually, share with and us. I've, and actually, I've actually starred in some films, you know, you know, and, and not just been supporting, just to put a little clarity. Well, good. You know, that's well, ego. And that's <laughs> what tell us about that. And that's an aspect we want to get into with And I have to be careful with my ego because you know what they say by ego. Ego is the <laughs> anesthesia that deadens the pain of stupidity. <laughs> <laughs> You would consider yourself an independent filmmaker, is that right? Uh, yeah. Um, I, you know, in, in some capacity, I, I really wouldn't even really consider myself a filmmaker right now because I've not worked on the level of the big boys, you know. I mean, I've, I've, I've been doing my own uh, – I've been doing my own little thing uh, in terms of writing. I'm more of a screenwriter. I'm more, I'm more of an actor who is a screenwriter who's learning to be a filmmaker. And I say learning to be a filmmaker because my pet peeve is when someone runs off and do a little play in the corner of some little theater and and they've only done slightly hardly anything and they want to call themselves an actor. You know, so, you know, I'm saying, no, you're not an actor, you're an actor in training. You know, I, I think before we start regarding, I think we have to give respect to artists in terms of those who are doing the big things in terms of those who are really, um, you know, rolling up their sleeves and, 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 and have, have accomplished, um, um, you know, some grand and wonderful things. So, you know, in regard, in regards to, you know, Ryan Coogler's a filmmaker, Robert Townsend's a filmmaker, Spike Lee's a filmmaker, uh, you know, but I, yeah, I, I've, I've written, Produced uh, and directed uh, a few award-winning short films, but my company, which is an international, uh, it's a small boutique film production boutique, and it's international. My major partner is in uh, Cologne, Germany. My my other major partner uh, is in Mumbai, India, by way of uh, Mauritius Island, uh, and this is the only way I I could really. Uh, Establish my game in terms of uh, having a shot to really do some things in terms of getting projects made. You know, it's almost like that Jimi Hendrix thing. No one really, even though we're in 2019, 
back in the day, there would not have been a Jimi Hendrix if he had not gone to Europe and and uh, and got the attention of Europeans and those in London and Paris and stuff. And then he came back here and he was big. So what's helping me get along the way uh, in terms of uh, screenwriting and, and, and making films are my international partners out of Germany and Mumbai and so forth. And, and, and but yeah, uh, you, that's just a long winded way to say, yes, I am an independent filmmaker, but, but I don't want to, I don't want to put myself in terms of, uh, you know, on the same level of, uh, as the guys who've been doing major things along the way, you know, back in the day, such as my colleagues like Robert Townsend and, uh, individuals uh, that I know, like uh, Spike Lee and and so forth, who uh, came long before Ryan Coogler and those guys, you know. Well, I'll tell you what, Ty. Let's start from the beginning, because, like I say, we we haven't seen each other since we were kids, and right. <laughs> I don't remember at the time you being uh, an actor or or, or or wanting to go into the entertainment stuff. How did you? Well, yeah. Move towards that. Well, I've profession? always wanted. I've I've. I've always wanted to be an actor, even when I knew you guys. I mean, you know, we never, you know, I recall my late grandmother. I know I know you guys remember my father, Gooseby's mother, uh, yeah, Mary. Yeah. I recall Absolutely. I recall when I was, uh, just as the story goes, I was uh, sitting on the porch with her there in Tampa at her house, and my grandmother asked me, she says, well, what do you want to be when you grow up? I said, Grandma, when I grow up, I'm going to be an actor. And she said, "Oh, I can't wait to see my baby in the movies." And I said, well, "No, oh, Grandma." And and I didn't know and I didn't know any better at the time. I said, "By the time I become an actor and be in the movies, you'll be." And I pointed at the ground. <laughs> she started laughing, you know. You know. In other words, that was my way of saying, you know, by the time that happens, I don't think you'll be around. But guess what? She was around long enough to see me star in CB4 with uh, Chris Rock and Charlie Murphy on the big screen. Um, but Terrific. I've always wanted to be an actor, you know, um, at Dunbar, you know, in Catholic school before, you know, I got transferred from St. Peter Claver. I was doing a little Christmas play there. And then at Dunbar, uh, in around about fifth or sixth grade, I was doing Rumpelstiltskin. So I've always wanted to be an actor. By the time I got in high school at Plant High, uh, I was in the drama club and writing and doing a lot of things at that time. But I, we had all gotten older and, and gone our separate ways, and we're growing up, and your family's doing their thing, my family's doing their thing. And, you know, your your father, who was a, a great man, a great uh, uh, physician, medical uh, doctor, uh, who was also uh, a civil rights activist of his own, right along with my dad, who was a noted civil rights. But every, everybody was doing their thing. But I've always wanted to be an actor, and I was, uh, you know, at Plant High doing my thing. Um, and, uh, by the time I got out of high school, um, you know, some time had gone by because, um, uh, you know, it, it was delayed for me to go to college and I, I went to college and sort of, sort of, sort of forgot about being an actor a little bit because I was going to major in political science because that's what I knew it, it, due to my father, you know, bringing home people like Julian Bond and giving uh, cocktail par- parties for individuals like Shirley Chisholm, who was the real first woman to run for president of the United States, not Hillary, it was Shirley Chisholm. Uh, so I knew politics. My father, you know, marching with uh, MLK and me meeting, uh, and I'm really dating myself now, when I was a kid, uh, JFK about a week or two before he was assassinated when he came to Tampa. You know, so political science was my thing. So, But I, I went to Florida A&M University and, and initially majored in political science and one day I walked by, by I was walking by a bulletin board and there was a an audition for a play called The River Niger, and it was like my antennas just went boom, and it was like hmm okay. So I auditioned for the play, uh, got cast. I was hitting the play, changed my major from political science to theater, and never looked back. And I ended up going over to Florida State University School of Theater. Uh, and as a co-op student, we were able to go back and forth. You know, Florida A&M University was, was the Department of Theater, and Florida State University was the School of Theater. They had a bigger budget, more money, and, you know, obviously back, back then, and so I ended up doing most of my work at Florida State University, which is where one day I met 
one of the greatest acting teachers of all time, uh, who I didn't even really know what the guy was. You know, see, ignorance can work for you sometimes, <laughs> you know. But uh, at Florida State University, the great Lee Strasberg, who w- was one of the co-founders of Actor Studio, had wow. come to do, to do a big workshop, a huge workshop at Florida State University. And uh, so the entire student body was in the auditorium. He had bought with him, and I didn't know any better that these were great theater actors. I just knew them from the movies. He had brought with him sitting on the stage with Lee Strasberg was the great Harold Corman, who had founded the group theater. We're going to all the way back to like Ilya Kazan and a lot of the great uh, playwright, play, uh, theater directors. So sitting on the stage with Lee Strasberg was Eli Wallach from the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly film. Wow. His daughter Susan, his daughter Susan Strasberg, who I didn't know, and uh, Kevin McCarthy from I knew from that old film, The Body Snatchers, you know, and yeah. Earl Hyman who I didn't know at all, who I found out Earl Hyman was one of the great Shakespearean actors, you know, who African-American Shakespearean actors. So all these individuals were sitting on the stage. And Did they he also play Cosby's father? Did Earl Hyman also again? play Cosby's Didn't he also play yeah. Cosby's father? Yeah, yeah, yeah he did. He did. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. You know, and but this was before that. You know what I mean? Okay. So I didn't really know. I didn't recognize him the way I recognized Kevin McCarthy from the Body Snatchers or Eli Wallach from the Good, Bad, and the Ugly, you know, and all of these things because I was I had been a film buff since I was like seven years old, man. You know, foreign films, all of that because my my family, as you guys, you probably know, my 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 father's father, you know, he he uh, he worked for Cab Calloway and he chauffeured Lauren Bacall, Humphrey Bogart's uh, uh, all-time love. So and then there was a music thing with my my play uncles Cannonball and Nat Adderley, and then my other uncle Andre White, mm-hmm. you know, who managed Marvin Gaye. So I, I'd always been around the showbiz vibe and energy. But anyway, I'm at Florida State, and and all of a sudden Lee Strasberg calls a couple students on stage to do some improvisation, which I was one of them, and I was pretty good at it, you know. Uh, I have been lying real good since I was a kid, and that's what improv- improvising is, telling a good lie, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So anyway, that was that, and I really didn't know who the guy was. Cut to about six hours later. I'm walking across campus The sun in Tallahassee, Florida. The sun's going down. I'm walking past the Fine Arts Building, School of Theater, and that little man with a suitcase Lee Strasberg is sitting there, standing outside by himself. To this day, I uh, I assumed he was waiting for a cab to take him back to to the airport to go back up to New York or wherever. So he was just all by himself, and I stopped. It was just me and Lee Strasberg, who was another small guy like me, you know, and we were almost eye to eye, and he looked at me, and I looked at him. And and this is where I say when I'm saying that ignorance can work for you because I may have been – intimidated by the guy if I really knew who he was at the time, this great acting coach who coached Marilyn Monroe and Marlon Brando and Robert De Niro and Sidney Poitier and, and Al Pacino. You know, I didn't know any of that. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm eye to eye with him, and I start with my index finger poking him in his chest. I said, when I graduate, I'm coming to New York, and I'm going to see you. <laughs> and, and he looked at and he, true story, and he looked at me, and he went, he says, you do that, young man. You do that. And sure enough, when I graduated, I went up to New York, found Actor Studio, and he wasn't doing much then. Uh, and the studio was in transition. And, um, and, um, and I waited in front of what was his office and for like weeks. And one day he showed up, and I said, you remember me? And he did. And he invited me to come in and audit one of his relaxation improvisation special things that he was doing where Alec Baldwin was coming over from New York University and Mickey Rourke was coming in off, off of uh, doing his, his little job, which working as a, a bouncer on 42nd Street, you know, when it was really nasty in New York with all the porn stuff, you know. But uh, mm-hmm. so, so that's how I, I got involved then. And then so one day the, the lead – the the uh, the chairman of the theater department at Juilliard, 
who was a great theater director who introduced Samuel Beckett to America, Waiting for Godot, who was the first guy to stage uh, uh, Edward Albee's uh, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. The great Alan Schneider, one of the greatest theater directors ever, happened to be snooping around the actor studio and saw me do something. And he approached me and asked me if I would be interested in doing a ethnic, an ethnic version of Waiting for Godot. Once again, ignorant. Waiting for who? <laughs> Waiting for Godot? What's that? You know, I didn't know. Even though I majored in theater, I had not been that in-depth studying theater, like the, the classics like Waiting for Godot and classic playwrights like Samuel Beckett and, and so forth. So we end up workshopping this in the middle of that uh, he got an offer to go out to La Jolla, California, uh, which is San Diego County, to leave Juilliard as the head of Juilliard's theater department and develop an MFA program in directing. He took such a liking to me. You know, once again, I'm between these two little Jewish guys, Lee Strasberg and Alan Schneider, and he was another small guy, and he says, Kid, how would you like to go out to La Jolla, California and get your, your master's degree in acting? I think I can pull this off if you audition for the program. Uh, I went, well, yeah, because my whole game was to get to California, to get to Hollywood, you know? So all of a sudden, I said, well, I don't have it. He said, well, kid, you missed the auditions in New York City. You're going to have to fly to Chicago. I said, I can't afford to fly to Chicago. He helped me fly to Chicago. I auditioned for the chairman of the department in Chicago at the Goodman Theater. Before I can get back to New York, they had already pretty much accepted me with a full fellowship. And I ended up leaving New York, going to La Jolla, California, to the University of California, San Diego, uh, in the MFA program and acting via a full fellowship. Um, and, uh, you know, got my master's degree, and it happened to be uh, then and still is one of the top three acting, directing, playwright programs in the world. And so during the hiatus, I would drive uh, – drive up to uh, Hollywood, you know, 90 miles, and start exploring Hollywood and making my connections in Hollywood. And that's how I got here. And that's how I found my way here. And then that's when it got really hard because uh, I had to learn the, the, the game of, of getting an agent and, and, and uh, you know, the whole film game, which is so different from the theater game. And it took me almost five years to get my first film, which was – Oliver Stone, Salvador. The opening scene, oh. it's me and James Woods. And since this is Oscar weekend, uh, Salvador was actually nominated for Best Picture, and James Woods was actually nominated for Best Actor. And and that was uh, the second time, or the first, I can't remember. The se- I think that was the... No, that was the first time I had gone to the Oscars. That was the first time. You know, uh, because I was invited, because I was really in company with Oliver Stone. Uh, Oliver Stone at that time had really taken taken a, uh, a liking to me. I had had a platoon script in my hand before anybody. I you couldn't. I would have bet bet a million dollars that I was going to be in platoon. But once again, I learned that Oliver, with his agents and the agent game and everything, even though he liked my talent and really liked me, the politics and the business of the game took me out of the platoon game, so I didn't end up in platoon. But ironically, both Salvador, and this never happens, both Salvador and platoon, both written and directed by Oliver Stone, were both nominated for Best Picture the same year. And, and Salvador got upstaged by platoon because of the, uh, you know, the, the compassion for Vietnam at that time and the Vietnam vets and that kind of thing. You know, so that's kind of like how I got here and got rolling. You know, and then it's and well. Then let it's, me let me ask. It's now. never easy. If I may, let me ask. Yes. When you when you first started on this track to Hollywood, and that's some um, some amazing stories about how you eventually got there. Well, was right. it your goal to get involved in television or movies or both? Uh, it was my goal to to get involved in in both. Uh, it, my 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 goal, my aim was to transition from theater into film. See, I always wanted to be a film actor, even though I've done over eighty plays and I've become, I became and I am a pretty pretty you know, 
let me put my ego in check. I'm a pretty decent, uh, you know, actor, uh, stage actor. But my thing is I always wanted to do film and television. But it took me, of this 30-something years of doing this, it took me about 12 years to understand when I was auditioning for film and TV that they were always, they were always, the agent, the casting directors were always telling my, my, my agents and managers that I was too, too big. And I never understood it. What do you mean, too big? I'm a small guy. What do you mean, too big? <laughs> you know, and I never got it. It meant technically my approach was too big, technically, for film and television because I had been theatri- theatrically trained, um, which means it's always about being loud and being big and hitting the back of the theater. And television is just the opposite. Film is just the opposite. And film is just... You know, so you, it's much more uh, intimate and quiet, and 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 that. Gets, so, film acting and stage acting are two different techniques. You know, and film acting and television acting are two different techniques. So, there you got basically three different techniques. You know, in terms of how to approach it. So, I had to learn that over the years, and a lot of the ways I learned it was by having been cast in really small roles being on the set and watching the big dogs, the big stars work. And I recall the first time on the set and, like, having one line or two lines and watching the big stars doing stuff, you know, um, which was long before I had done Salvador. I just don't talk about the little one-liners and two-liners because it doesn't really get you anywhere. But but I was watching the stars. I'm like, man, it looks like these guys ain't doing nothing. And then I would <laughs> actually see the film when it came out, and I went, oh, my God. Because they were just so quiet and still, which was so opposite of theater. So that's how I began to really learn to hone my own craft and film in television, you know. And and actually, I'm more comfortable at it. Actually, I'm comfortable at it all. But 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 it's 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 you know I've always wanted to do film and TV. But you gotta understand, when I was coming up in college, you didn't have film acting schools. Everything was theater. It wasn't like now. Even at the studio. You know, it wasn't, the focus really wasn't so much whether it was theater or film. It was just on acting technique, period. So you take the same acting technique, like I I, uh, studied at the studio, which is method, but you just bump it down for film. It's the same approach technically, but then when it comes to the medium, that's another technique. So we got, it's the same acting technique adjusted to that particular medium technique, if that makes sense. It does. Okay, let me give my audience a notice here real quick. You're listening to America's Community Voice Network podcast this month. We've got a special Black History Month edition. We're focusing on Hollywood, Black Hollywood. We're focusing on uh, what's going on with uh, all of the actors and directors and producers and writers, particularly because of of uh, the overwhelming success of Black Panther and and really want to get a chance to talk with Ty from an overview of everything that happened with Black Panther being so transformative. Yeah. Is that going to yeah. have a positive effect on everybody else? Will the benefits trickle down to well, everyone else and there will be more opportunities? Well, well, you, you, you can't really let, – let's go all the way. There's always been opportunity, opportunities for filmmakers of color. I mean, let's go back. I mean, this is nothing – it's just you know you know it's it's more of it at one time, but we we still got to give due note. We got to go back. Let's 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 go back to 1915, man. We got to go back to Oscar Michel. You know when these guys were doing, you know when Oscar Michel was a novelist and filmmaker in 1915 and 1920. You know which he's still not getting his due today. And and then you know. I mean, the, the, his film The Homesteader as a feature film in 1919, which was a follow-up to W.D. Griffin's Race's epic The Birth of a Nation. Um, you know, so, you know, we got to this, – this could not be indirectly Black Panther with Ryan Coogler and, and, uh, and, uh, and, his, and, his, uh, and, uh, and Michael B. Jordan. It could not be if it had not been from, from the beginning. You know, and then and then and then you got Melvin Van Peebles, you you know, sweet sweet back badass song. Let's not just jump the Black Panther, 
and 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 not forget how we got there with guys like Ryan Coogler, you know, because from Michelle Michelle to Melvin Van Peebles to Gordon Park Parks and Shaft and Ivan Dixon, the spook who sat by the door to Charlie Burnett's Killer of Sheep, Miss Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust, and then my my boys, Robert Townsend, Hollywood Shuffle, and you know John Singleton, and we've completely forgot about Straight Out of Brooklyn with Maddie Rich. And then there's one false you know, move, and you know. I understand, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying, and and, and like a lot of us, uh, particularly African Americans, I'm aware of every one of those movies that you've talked about. But I'm right. talking about the, the greater consciousness of moviegoers. Right. Uh, well, uh, well, in terms this in, year, I know. In, in, yeah, in terms of moving forward, you know, in terms of Black Panther, you got to see, you got to understand how Hollywood, the business itself. Uh, yeah. how, how that how that transcended, you see, because it started with Fruitvale Station, Fruitvale Station. Exactly, that was Coogler's first uh, movie, right? That it was it was written and directed by Ryan Coogler for Michael yeah. B. Jordan. You understand? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's you know, if it had not been a Fruitvale Station, Black Panther may not have even happened, or may not have happened in the manner creatively that has happened. You see, nobody, no project in this town, and nobody, no actor, no writer, no producer, gets to get to that level to really create without some help or some notice. What a lot of people don't understand is that, okay, Fruitvale Station was written for Michael B., and it got a lot of notice, okay? And, and people don't even understand that that project, may not have happened if Octavia Spencer, you know, had not uh, foregone her salary to help mm-hmm. Ryan keep his budget. And that budget was less than a million dollars, okay? And then mm-hmm. Ryan Coogler was, was uh, Forrest Whitaker's, he, Forrest Whitaker was a very early supporter of Ryan Coogler when he was in college, so then these people helped that film Fruitvale Station get some development at Sundance and then get it in the Sundance Festival, and the Harvey Weinstein picks it up for $2.5 million, and then it's released. Critics love it, off and running, new boys in town, all the right agents and players got dollar signs in their eyes now. The new boys on the block, who are these guys? So then... Ryan and Michael B. put their heads together, and then they uh, about how can hey this Rocky thing, Creed. They go to Stallone. They prove with a bigger budget, and they prove that they weren't flukes. Okay, that they could handle something on that level, and then came the negotiations of Black Panther, which you got these young soldiers, these young African American soldiers, who could take the contemporary dynamics uh, in, terms, uh, in terms of demographics, in terms of what's happening, and make Black Panther now. And that's what they did, and they did it, did it brilliantly. So in terms of moving forward, you know, how it's going to create more opportunity, well, that's a tricky question. I can say that white Hollywood can no longer say that black films don't open. <laughs> okay, or or black films uh, don't do well in the foreign market, you know, and and that has been a problem because you know Hollywood is all about the foreign market where they make a lot of money. You know, I mean, even Empire Television Show uh, has a problem uh, with uh, demographics in Europe. You know, because it doesn't really care. It's not universal. Empire is not a universal theme. So part of the problem with Hollywood wasn't understanding was you can't take boys in the hood and think it's going to do well in London, in Paris, the way it does in the United States. Black Panther is well, a more superhero. Yeah, go ahead. That's what I was going to ask. That's what I was getting to. What is the impact of uh, Black Panther? being made by a large studio such as Marvel, 
Studios. And what Marvel does that I like is when they mm-hmm. introduce a character before they make that individual picture, they put them in an intricate part of one of their franchise movies. Like they put the Black Panther in right. Captain America's Civil War, and he had a very right. intricate role in there. Right. Before right. they roll out where's his story. Marketing? Where, where, where's marketing? Because Black Panther is not as popular as Thor, you know, or, uh, I mean, am I, am I right? Yeah, Thor. Um, I get my Marvels, my, my superheroes mixed up with my DC. <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah, it's easy. Kind of, but, 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 you know, Black Panther was not as popular as, as Iron Man and, 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 uh, and, and, and those, uh, you know, the Hulk and, 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 and those. So, so what did they wanted, they wanted to, uh, they wanted to definitely test the waters, you know, and, and uh, slowly break everybody in. Which is brilliant at marketing, and they don't just do it. They didn't just do it with Black Panther. They, they, they like I think you just mentioned. They do it with a lot of their characters that aren't as um, well known as the, you know, the, the the obvious ones. You know, the Iron Mans and the, uh, you know, it, it's it's just brilliant marketing, you know, from there. Yeah. But we'll and, see. We'll and Black see how... Panther was such a. I'm sorry to interrupt, Todd. Black Panther was such no, no, a no, perfect storm, storm with casting. Yeah. Uh, the director, uh, the cinematography, the costumes, uh, that yeah. whole vision uh, of, of what that culture was going to be like, uh, uh, right. and this this man and, and that's, his family, and, that, and that's and that's Ryan Coogler, and you have to give him credit. You know, the, absolutely, he's, he's a genius. You know, that's Ryan Coogler. You got to start giving this young African American soldier the credit the way you give uh, the others. You know, the, the you know, I mean the. Uh, you know, everybody wants to talk about the Tarantinos and the, the old school Clint Eastwoods, and 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 there's so many of us that are capable of doing the big work and doing brilliant big work if given the opportunity, because it just comes down to having the budget and the crew. You know, um, yeah. It's it's. I mean, I mean the the others. You know, without I don't want to just get on Hollywood and say you know and make make it black and white against this and that and the other, but it, the road is a little bit different and and harder, you know. I mean, you know, we can't. I mean, even take um, uh, Lady Gaga's. Uh, I'm I'm I'm. What's the name? A Star is Born. Um, yeah, a Star a Star is Born. Originally, that was Clint Eastwood directing Beyonce. Exactly, yeah. I remember. And Beyonce and got pregnant. Couldn't do it. You know, yeah. and Clint called Brad up and said, "Hey man, you want to do this?" See, that doesn't happen with us. With us, you know, hey man, you want to do it? And Brad, who had never really directed anything uh, of that capacity, goes, "Yeah, I do it." So they throw him the budget, and he's got all the crew, and he's got the studios behind him, and he goes and get Lady Gaga. You know, why don't we have that type of networking? Know, well, it's, it's not. You mean amongst one another? Yeah. Or in the or in the industry itself. Why, why don't somebody pick up the phone and call you, Ty? And say, "Hey, Ty, you know, yeah, it's just it's it's tricky, man. Um, because it comes down it comes down to remembering that it's a business. You know, there's so many different ways I can answer that. You know, because yeah. the components of the components of how it's broken down, but it starts with. It's, number one, you got to remember, it's a business, okay? It's a business. Hollywood is big business. This is the second largest export of the United States of America. People don't understand that, you know? The first, which is battling with video, video uh, games now, is, air, uh, is uh, aircraft and weapons. But the second has always been uh, film, Hollywood. That's why in my neighborhood, by the way, we can look out of our home and see the backstage of where the Oscars are being held, okay? And out of our front window, pretty much, the back window of our home. And they lock this neighborhood down. You have snipers on the roof. You have manholes being welded. You have mailboxes being moved. You have the FBI. You have bomb skip. Why is it that? It's just moved. Why? 
God forbid, if something happened, uh, Oscar, do you know the debt that you would put in America's economy? This is big business. That being said, to answer your question indirectly is you have the top 10, 15 agents, the big boys, who I am no longer with. I'm with a, with a little boutique, boutique now. You know, so you have the top 10, 15 agents, CAA, APA, uh, you know, whatever, and they have the, the directors, the screenwriters, the producers, the stars, and the casting directors, <laughs> okay? Because casting directors, people don't understand this, casting directors have representation too, a lot of the big ones. So it's easy for Clint Eastwood to dance with Brad and them um, within their own home if they're with the same agent and got a, perhaps the same deal with the same studio. I'm not in that clique. You know, it's business. Yeah. And, 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 and it's not about always being who's, yeah, could I do it? Am I, I you know, I, I could stand next to any, any great star and I could hang with any. My work speaks for itself, man. You know, I, I've worked very, very hard over the years. Could I direct it all? Even this film, which I want to talk to you guys, to, to you guys about, that I've been developing for 10 years that has to shoot in Tampa, okay? Um, but, but, but this is the beauty of Ryan Coogler right now because now he's in that clique, you see? Because everybody assumed that Ryan directed uh, Creed 2. And he did? He did not. He did not direct Creed 2. Nobody knows the director, Stephen Capel Jr., another young brother, who directed the hell out of Creed 2. He comes out of Ryan and Michael B. Jordan's camp, who is just as capable as Ryan or Clint Eastwood or Quentin Tarantino or anybody. So they wanted Ryan to do Creed 2. Ryan said, well, I'm developing more Black Panther. I'm doing it. I don't have time. But I want an executive producer, and if you want me involved and you want to do this because I own this and that and blah, 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 you got to use my boy and let him direct it. <laughs> yep. So this and they did a great thing by letting Sylvester Stallone write the script. That was very smart. Right. 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 All right, fellas, let me you know. interrupt for a second so I can update the audience yeah. on something. Sure. Again, uh, for those of you listening to the program, if you want to call in with comments or questions for our guest, Mr. Ty Grandison-Jones, Give us a call at 213-943-3755. Again, for anyone wishing to call in with questions and comments, for our guest, call us at 213-943-3755. You are listening to America's Community Voices and Network podcast. Our special guest today is Ty Grandison-Jones, and we're talking about like movies, entertainment, Hollywood, how to make a movie, talking about his wonderful career. We're going to be talking about a very special project that he's been working on for almost 10 years that's near and dear to his heart. And we're going to give, get his input on who does he think is going to win some of those Oscars tomorrow night, particularly those in which we have African-Americans uh, uh, vying for, uh, uh, for uh, one of those statutes. Um, there are some other movies I want to talk about. Yeah, besides that, uh, I want to get your yeah. input on. Don, sure. Go ahead, Don. Well, before before we do all that, uh, Ty, I want to know: Did you happen to see there is a movie that was out that came out October of 2018? Um, it just blew me away. It was called "The Hate You Give." Uh huh. No, I, I, and you, know, I had, you know I can't I can't really speak on it because I've not seen it, but I've read a lot of reviews. And bravo to George Tillman Jr. Um, because um, it's not easy to get move, films. This is a film. You know, I, I try to, you know, folks have to understand the difference between films and movies. Black Panther is a movie. You know, The Hate You Give is a film. You know, it's almost more character-driven and films are more char- character and story-driven and intricate, you know. Um, um, that's just my take on, on the game. Um well, you just, and you just but, told me what I wanted to hear. You're absolutely right. Right, right. You know, but no, I, I've not seen it. But I've read, I read reviews uh, a lot 
have been mixed, that it was contrived, uh, and you know. So, but I can't really speak on it because I don't really let critics um, dictate whether I should see a movie or not. Um, some movies, uh, you know, I've loved that the critics just pan across the board, but I've heard some mixed emotion about it. But the thing about it's so easy to criticize movies and filmmakers. The first thing I always say to critics or anybody, I say, have you made a film? Because I don't know, mm-hmm. I know anybody that takes one, two, three, four, five million, you know, or even 500000 or 250000 or any of their money, or however they got a budget, and say, well, let's go make a piece of shit. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, so making films is not easy. It's hard work. You know, well, Ty, you're gonna make I saw it. Go ahead. I saw that movie, and it's a wonderful movie. Uh, and the reason right. why I brought it up is um, I understand why it was not accepted by a broader audience because it's, right. it was uh, talking about a, 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 a young black girl who lives in the ghetto and is educated right. in, a, in a school that's not in the ghetto. And she witnesses right. her childhood friend get killed. Right. Yeah, and 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 that's what's happening in America right now, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, so so there's a place for it, and I think what we 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 have the proclivity to lose sight of the intentions of some movies, you know, um, and it's a delicate balance, you know, because some, you know, in 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 the stuff I write, I write to entertain, you know, my influences are, are not. You know, my my things are my thing is Samuel. You know, I'm 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 more of a Stanley Kubrick, uh, David Lynch, right. Coen brother Coen brother kind of. Those are my influences. But I'm very you know my thing is dark, but sociopolitical, but entertaining. And and the thing the thing with some of these movies, we have to be. I mean, there's a place for films to 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 teach us. You know, I mean, I mean, film can teach us, but we have to be politically. It's even like, from an acting point of view, they ask you, you know, well, how do you always playing bad guys and 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 this and that and you know, and and I said, well, I'm an actor. You know, Samuel L. Jackson once said, my my pal Samuel, he said, you want to talk to me about politics, my political views, ask me when I leave the set. You know, so. You know, it's hard sometimes, man, when certain films or you're trying to make political statements or people don't understand why black folks aren't being represented differently and always playing these guys and that guys. and that. You know, at the end of the day, we're actors and we want to get paid and we want to have a career and we're having fun. And it's not really our respons- responsibility to be politicians, you know, in that regard. So when people like George Tillman comes up with films and want to do something that's going to teach us and expose a certain part of Americana, yeah, definitely there's a place for it, and it's necessary. It's very needed, and and we need to stay open to what those intentions are of that particular filmmaker, you know. And but we're so easy to criticize and go to other. Same thing with Green Book. I have some of my African American pals going, man, that was bullshit. And I'm like, ah, uh, how? I said, I'm from the South, and I don't even know what a damn green book was. I learned something. Never heard of it before. <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't. You know? And I could have civil rights back. I'm sure. Say it again? I said it has historical significance, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't know a green book was a, a little book that uh, when black folk would travel down the South, it, 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 it was sort of like a road map of where they could, what roads, highways they should travel, places to stay, to stay safe from the KKK and all of this harm. I didn't know what, that was the the Green Book, where the Negroes only could go. Yeah, I didn't know that until I saw the film Green Book. (laughs) You know, and and it was, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead, I'm sorry. Let's talk about uh, some of the other uh, movies that came out in that vein, two in particular. Uh, if Bill Street could talk, and I want to talk right. about particularly Spike Lee's Black Klansman, because I, I, right. I I'm so thrilled about uh, the success and recognition he's getting for that movie because that's an excellent movie. What do you What are your thoughts about yeah. that? 
Well, um, you know, Spike's been doing this stuff. You know, I'm I'm a little torn about Spike in a lot of different ways, you know, but I kind of have to remove myself from the business uh, in terms of uh, being on the inside. But being on the outside, Spike definitely deserves this recognition. He should have gotten recognition a long time ago. He's always using one of my closest friends who's like family. Roger Guinevere Smith is like one of my closest pals, um, which Great goes, he goes all the way back. Yeah. Roger goes all the way, but me and Roger, we, Roger, uh, we did a play, um, we did Bombing Gilead, Lamford Wilson's Bombing Gilead, the West Coast premiere of Bombing Gilead, um, which was one of the biggest hit plays here, Roger, and we go back and we continue to do a couple of plays together back in the day, but Roger, um, basically, uh, was doing this improvisation thing and do the right thing, and got Spike's attention. So Spike started writing it into the script, Smiley, of what Roger was doing. Roger made Spike look brilliant in that regard. Um, and, of course, they built, they found, built a friendship, and, and um, Spike did what he's supposed to do. What a lot of the guys and brothers don't do in this town is you put your boys in your films, and you keep food on their table and a roof over their head and make sure that their families are okay. And that's what Spike and Roger has going, and I'm so happy for Roger. Um, he just lost his mother not long ago. Their family was just very close to me and my wife. Um, but I say that Spike, one of the reasons Spike is finally getting his due, the Academy changed the game uh, last year. They, yes, they inducted They inducted about, ah, I don't know, about 100 or whatever, uh, LGBTQ, black, and Roger's one of them. And you think Roger ain't in that academy fighting for Spike? <laughs> you know? You know? So it's it's that just goes to show you when you change the demographics of certain organizations, things change. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you that one of the reasons that Spike, no matter how brilliant uh, folk think that black Klansman is or not, that Spike, if this adjustment had not been been in the academy of its demographics, he probably would not have even gotten nominated this year. You know, so and yeah. that's and and but it's also been supported by the last couple of years of what have been what have been going the whitewash of the academies. You know, um, you know. Yeah. But then there was Moonlight, you know, and and uh, which was a beautiful film, and uh, and uh, so we we we. You know, I, I I think things are things are changing for the best for us across the board. You know, but it's still business, and you still it doesn't mean that it's changing for me. <laughs> it doesn't mean that it's changing for my contemporary guys who are still who were here digging the ditch before all this was happening, where we had to fight. I mean, back in the day when I started CB4, you know, I mean it was just a whole nother game. You know, and and it was a whole there wasn't as much opportunity. As it is now, yeah. I remember, I've been a member of Screen Actors Guild since the mid '80s. So, you know, and then, so for supporting veteran actors like myself, it's a scramble constantly. You know, uh, you got new casting directors that don't really understand the process of actors, whether you black, white, red, or polka dot. So there are a lot of different components and dynamics, which I'm sure within this hour, you know, we have to talk about another time. You know? Yeah. Hey, well, let's do this, because we want to talk about the film that you've been trying to make for the last 10 years. Tell us about that, because I'm really interested. Oh, man. Well, before, before, man, before we is... do that, yeah. before we do that, I want to do one thing, because I advertised that we would do that. Let's talk about uh, those Academy Award nominees for Martin Wright, particularly uh, Marshala Ali, uh, Regina right. King, Spike Lee, uh, Talk to about what do you think they're out there? Man, man, I'm I'm so I've known Regina. You know, you know, I guest starred on two two seven back in the day. <laughs> uh, so so, I saw that in your. Yeah, yeah, you know, and I've known Regina. You, you know, you know they have a you know the joy for me is you see this town, it's like the just the, the, this town can really jack your head up, man. You know, uh, when you get a little bit of success. I mean, even to this day with my fan base, they come up to me, man, I can't believe you're so cool. They have fans all around the world between Con Air and, and CB4 and some other things. And it was like, 
I said, you know what, I should be genuflecting to you for recognizing my work. But a lot of folks, I don't know, it's weird. It's like the just the Jesse Smollett thing. You know, this town yeah. can really jack people up, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's something in the water. There's so many different ways mm-hmm. if you allow this town <laughs> and and the the to jack you up. And when I run into people like Regina, you know, they say money changes you. I say no, you got it wrong. Money and success changes. No, you got it wrong. Money and success only reveals who you always really were. It doesn't mm-hmm. change you, you know. And when I run into Regina King, she is just as humble and that same sweet little girl that I knew back in the day, you know. And that's what we see in her work, okay. I that's agree, what we I see agree. in her work, you know. It's not about – it's about the work, man. It's not about the, the, the ego and all of those things. So I'm pulling for Regina. And Mahershala just seems like I've never met him. Yeah, you know, uh, the brother is just, I'm watching him on True Detective. He's just, to see this, uh, another soldier who's been in, and, and it's not overnight. Everybody thinks that uh, things are always where overnight, overnight. He's been out here doing theater, grinding and busting their butts, man. And then they get the right agent, and then the right agent gets them in the room, and they give the right audition, and the right producer, and everybody, you know, it's just, you know, it's, it's, um, this is a tough game, man. It's a tough, tough, tough game. Uh, and, Ty, uh, yeah. Do you think, what do you think the chances are, because I believe it deserves to be, that Black Panther will win Best Picture of the Year? There's a great chance because, once again, let's go back to how the demographics have changed in the academy. You know, that percentage is making a difference. You know, I mean, inducting Roger Guinevere Smith and uh, I forgot who else uh, lists, and uh, you know, more, they got more women, more women of color, more, more, more from the gay community, everything, you know. And so, so when it comes to the votes in the academy, those percentages make a difference, you know. And and the academy has just got to start stepping up, man. So I, I really, I really think, and 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 to be honest, from my point of view. Black Panther is really not that great, great film. It's a solid superhero film. But what makes it different is the numbers that it did at the box office and that it was done on that level with an all-black cast, pretty much. That's what makes it different. Okay, thank you. Now, let's get to your project, that project that's been near and dear to your heart. For the last ten years, oh, yeah, something man. you want to do? Yeah, tell us about it. And I have been, I've been so close. You know, my my company, uh, Creole Selena Entertainment, which by the way is named after my daughter Selena, who is lives there in Tampa. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, we and by the way, one of my producing partners is there on the ground in Tampa. Uh, Lawrence Hires is one of my producing partners in my company. Oh okay. yeah, <laughs> I went to high school. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, rap, rap. If you go to CreoleSelenaInt.com, you'll see rap. You'll see everything about him up there. And he's been with me on this. And he came aboard pretty much by way of this project. It's called The Cool and Creepy. And there's nothing like it. We almost got it made uh, last year. We almost got the budget last year. And it has to be shot uh, in Tampa. You know, it's, um, it's an underbelly tale of offbeat criminals and gang- it's gangster genre. Uh, it's an under- underbelly tale of offbeat criminals in the Gulf Coast melting pot of Tampa Bay, uh, where for a deal is dishonored and leads to a bizarre, mysterious, action-packed and bloody quest uh, to get even during one of the most brutal Florida winter uh, heat waves of all time as the city is celebrating Gasparilla. <laughs> you know? I love it. Yeah. <laughs> what a yeah, good premise, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, last year we had, um, uh, there's a film called Dog Eat Dog, um, which was directed by Paul Schrader. And okay. the writer, yeah, the great the great Paul Schrader, uh, who wrote um, Raging Bull and Taxi Driver with De Niro. Mm-hmm. Well, 
well, the the guy that wrote Dog Eat Dog, which starred Nicolas Cage and uh, Willem Dafoe, um, we wanted Paul Schrader to try to attach him to direct it because it's this dark gangster offbeat thing that we knew he would dig. He read it and felt it was one of the best gangster scripts he's ever read in his entire life. You know, I have been writing and tweaking this script with my partners out of Germany and Mumbai, India, for the last 10 years, man. And uh, it's an offbeat, crazy, sociopolitical piece that deals with the racism in Tampa. It, it, it takes place during a three-day period uh, around Gasparilla. It involves Gasparilla, and the Gasparilla people love it. They've been supporting us, and we have a $5 million matching fund situation um, out of Mauritius Island. So we're just looking for more investors. But this would be big for Tampa. It would put Gasparilla in films. You've never seen it in film. People don't even know what it's about as a backdrop, you know. Uh, and uh, and uh, it's just it's a great, you know, it's a great story, man. It's crazy. Um, and uh, so it, it would bring a lot of commerce to Tampa. The budget is $10 million, and we have a $5 million matching funds. And uh, the lead uh, that we're looking for is somebody like, uh, oh, Lord, <laughs> uh, the, the guy that played uh, Gianni Versace. The lead has to be Cuban. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's a great actor. You know, it's, yeah, it's, yeah it, it's, not a, it's not a black piece, you know, but it involves a black experience. Everything I do, I don't write. The, the the hood pieces, you know, I, like I said, my influences are Stanley Kubrick and Coen Brothers, but I involve all of my experience. And my intention as a screenwriter and a filmmaker is to do what the 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 the, the screenwriter and filmmaker did, um, who is now the showrunner for Empire. His name eludes me, but he wrote uh, Black Snake Hustle and Flow, Black Snake Snake Moan. Craig Brewer. Is that Danny Strong? Huh? Okay, no, Craig you, you missed it. Yeah, Craig Brewer. Mm-hmm. And what he does for Nashville, in terms of what he's writing and the films that he's making, he shows another side of Nashville in Tennessee yeah. with Black Snake Moan and with Hustle and Flow. It's not always the music thing. And whenever you see stories at, about the, the idiosyncratic community and the community in general – Geographically in Florida, it's always the cliche of Florida. It's always South Florida. It's always Miami. Nobody knows anything about where we grew up, guys. You know, and we grew yeah. up at one time. It was the crime capital of the world, where all the mobsters and the Colombians and you know, so and, 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 and the race and the racism and that bubble that that racist bubble that we live in. So and that's what the cool and creepy is. You know, it's about a good old boy racist mobster family, crooked judge, who goes after. I don't want to say too much, but. It's a beautiful script, man, and and what I'm doing as a writer is to bring to the world aspects of Florida that they've never seen, which is where we grew up, you know, and a lot of the story takes place in Ybor City, you know. Oh. You know, and, yeah, man, it's 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 my dream, man, to, to do this, to, to get it, and it's a dynamite script. It's uh, So keep your head... Your, your eyes and ears open and your head up for me for investors and folks because it would bring commerce to Tampa and it would do a lot for our community and the people that I would definitely put to work and so forth. Well, Even the late, uh, Freddie Shel- like the, the, late, the, late, the late Freddie Shellman was involved with it as well. Oh, okay. Well, we wish you well you on know. this project. We got a little yeah. bit less than a minute left. Ty, Ty, we want to thank you so much. To our audience, our guest today has been Ty Granison jones and I assure you, we're going to try to get him back again in the in the future, and have him come and talk a little bit more yeah. about some of the things that he's doing. And certainly, if he gets his project off the ground, we want to talk about that. Right. Before and we go leave, to my website. To... My my website is tygrandersonjones.com. Tygrandersonjones.com, okay. and you can find me on Facebook and follow me on Instagram, King, King Creole 55 on Instagram. Okay. Before we leave. A special note, I want to make a dedication of this program. My Aunt Ertha May Miller Brookins, Brookins Miller, passed away this day, earlier today. She's oh. 91 years old. 
uh, my father's younger sister. Uh, we all loved and cherished her dearly, and uh, we dedicate this show in her memory. Blame blessings for her. I'm sending tons Thank of blessings. Thank you. Thanks so much. Bye. All right. All right, brother. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. God bless you guys. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye.